This episode of The Black Futurist is actually a conversation that was recorded around 10 years ago, around 2010, before podcasting was embraced. I would record conversations like this and put them wherever I could, YouTube, etc. And I did with what I had at the time, equipment-wise. It's not like today where we can get this awesome audio quality at home and it's approachable. The conversation is between myself and... Uh, Maurice Dolberry, who's now Dr. Dolberry, my good friend, Lavelle Flamon, and my other good friend, rapper, producer, podcaster, activist, David Banner. And I just think this conversation is relevant today as much as it was then. And I think this audience will enjoy it. So take a listen. Thanks for always supporting the Black Futurist. I'd love to get your feedback on this conversation. Flamon. Mo the Educator and the one and only David Banner. What's up, fellas? All is well. Listen, I appreciate y'all coming on and uh, we just are, you know, getting at the people uh, about a key topic and just commentary and see kind of where, where we are on um, on the state of black leadership. And, and I, I, you know, I know it's a funny phrase, because I, uh, but I want to kind of see where you guys are with uh, who do you believe are your leaders in the black community and, um, and how, how are we standing so far? Well, I mean, I mean, well, I think first of all, the, the problem, and and I, I think if we don't learn from our parents, it's going to be similar things that happen to our parents. I don't think the problem is so much black leadership. I think it's that black people don't have a grasp on what they actually want. What are the goals? What are we really moving towards? Because what we have to remember is. What they did to our parents was they would let our parents have leaders. They would give us Malcolm. They would give us Martin. You know, we can go down along, you know, Huey. We can go down through, we can go all the black leaders. They give us that, you know, let them build up our pride, let us feel good, and they kill them. The problem was we are too, we are too focused on people and not on the matters at hand. You know, one thing that I truly fear is let's just even say America said, okay, black folks, we sorry for putting y'all in slavery and this, that, and the other, drugs, crack, all that. Okay, what do y'all want? We don't even know what we want. So I think one thing that ends up happening is not just black leaders, but leaders in general. One of the things that I don't trust is politicians and preachers. And I'll tell you why. Anybody, politicians and preachers were never meant to make a profit. They were always supposed to be for the people. If you go back and look at the true politicians and the true um, preachers, they were always supposed to be about the people. They may have been bakers, they may have been farmers or whatever they did. And after they, you know, give God word or, or stand for the people or they were mayor, then they would go back to their original job. The thing is, anybody who gets donations or who, who, who gets money from from uh, specific people, then they have to do what those people say, and not the will of God and not the will of the people. So what we have to do is we have to find people who are truly for the people, and the people have to remember that there's goals at hand. That's just my personal opinion. And so, uh, I mean, who, is there a person that you can, can we name anybody who we say is uh, is in a prime position to, to kind of help us define those goals or publicly kind of stand for those goals? Well, the problem is most of the people who can be that, that person, excuse me, I know that y'all go, the people that could be though, that, that could possibly be that person, 
they're not affected by what the average people, what the average person is affected by. So it has to come from the people, and that person has to, uh, 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 the person more or less has to take out what the people want. That's what I did as SGA president. When I was at Southern, they asked me, they said, well, what, what, what platform do you run on? I said, well, for me to have a platform means that I'm, I'm, I'm doing my will and not the will of the people. No, he, you know, and and I would say, you know, conceptually, black leadership is just that. You know what I mean? For me, it's the it's the concept that there's a group of us, and that group can be as as little or as big as it needs to be. W. B. Du Bois said it's you know ten percent of us. You know, it, it, to, to me, it's not. I don't know that it's necessarily limited by you know ten percent. It could be more. It could be less. I think that. Like you said, you know, name black leaders. I think you got four right here, you know, on this radio broadcast. I, and and we all lead and we all have, you know, for example, different uh, uh, ability and different talents and touching the people. You know what I mean? We, you know, you know, you're, you know, you got the big Internet uh, 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 president, man, Banner, you know, got, you know, through his, you know, music and movies and, and about through, you know, through, through his music and, and, you know, his and what he's been able to do, you know, and, and me, you know, trying to do it in the classroom and in, the, and in academia, you know, we're, we are black leadership. You know what I mean? We're, it doesn't mean that we need to be, you know, necessarily have that faith time to put ourselves up like, yeah, I'm a black leader and I speak for black people because there's a, there's a difference between, like, being a leader and speaking for the people and being, like, you know, the main cat, you know, like the, the right. you know, the person that, that, that people look to to say what black people think. I think it's important that we say black leadership is diverse. You know what I mean? It's the, it's the hip-hop artist. It's the dude who, you know, was valedictorian of architecture. It's the academic fact, you know, at U.S. Washington. Can they be white people as being black leaders? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it happens all the time, man. You got, you got white Students, I mean, white people teaching black kids. You got white pastors teaching all black congregations, and they're leading black people, and they, and they in essence become black leaders, or at least leaders of black people per se. But that's just a little side point. To David's point, I think the idea that that that, that having a platform is contrary to being a leader is a is, is a good point, in that we need to be working as a community, which means there are no individual leaders. That we're all leading each other by understanding what our issues are, by knowing what um, the solutions need to be, and by implementing those things. Hey, how has how has uh, integration affected the term black leadership or black community? Wait, <laughs> I think y'all should go first because I'm real <laughs> touchy about that. One. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you feeling it, man, hop on it. Well, I think integration was one of the worst things that ever happened to black people. I think integra integration was, was uh, as bad or worse than slavery. Let me tell you why. <laughs> what we have to understand is, is one of the worst things that has happened to black people is instant gratification. We want everything right now. Nothing that's worth anything was right now. Black people before integration, we at least control what what books our kids were reading. Um, we had control of our own restaurants. And what happened is some key white leaders saw that 
and it, uh, and it was inevitable that black people would become more powerful. If you have it, imagine if we would have kept our own restaurants, our own schools, even though we didn't have the same type of schools that white people had, we controlled what our kids were reading, eating, deliciously doing. But we were fooled into thinking that us congregating and being around white people was the best thing for white people. So black folks gave up all of their power, gave up everything, their schools, their books, their ability to teach and feed their children, um, farming, everything. We want to be in white people. Now, not that... We, um, not that we didn't, we didn't want the respect or need the same respect as any other man on this earth, but I think the term integration within itself was not defined the way that it was actually executed. It was not, it, it was not integration. It was giving up all of your power and coming over here and being second class citizens. And the problem with what has happened to America that people don't quantify is that if you look at America and its growth, America has grown a billion times since the 60s. So if you had the slave quarters in the, in the master's house, and the, and the master's house grew a billion times, then uh, exponentially, the slave house grew just as much. So the fact that we have doctors and lawyers and all these kind of different things, that's in, 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 in exact, um, uh, it grew the same amount that the, that the master's house, as, as the master's house did. So what I'm trying to tell people is, in integration, although we grew more and got more money, our power as a whole did not grow as black people, and we actually just gave it up. So now, to me, we're just hot-paid hot, we're just hot paid slaves. This is just my personal opinion. Hmm. You know, it's funny. Recently, uh, on, on the on the business side of things, uh, you know, in, in terms of marketing, I don't say this because this is direct um, partnership with our business. We deal a lot of times with multicultural marketing agencies whose job it is and was to kind of translate the the brand message to the black community or to their black constituency, or, or you know, and they, and there are Latino, multi, you know, multicultural agencies as well that serve the same purpose. Well, recently, the black agencies have lost major business, and the and the business itself has gone back over to the general market agency, and the spending has increased. So they took the the business away from the translators, basically, brought the dollar spending inside back inside the house of general market, increased the spending after the fact, and the rationale was, well, black people don't buy along racial lines. They buy along along social lines like everybody else, and therefore, you know, we don't need to specifically market to black folks, and therefore we don't need to send this money to these black companies whose job it is to translate, you know, our our brand message in the black community, and that's a big deal. It's a big deal because it personally affected our business, and I'm sure it affected many other minority businesses. Um, But I think it's kind of the same thing we're talking about as far as integration. We we've kind of bought into a big pill in my in my view and and still seeing a lot of the rippling effects of it well how do we change that you know we talk about problems all day long but how do we how do we solve those things you know and large part of it is is education and, and not just going to school to get a degree to get a job how do you inform people about the history and and the and the politics of being an african through the american experience you know how do you talk about you know, your power as, quote-unquote, African-American in America. How, how do you inform people that, you know, um, this culture has 
not only define America in terms of its positive aspects, but has influenced the world, you know, over. How do you tell people that they have a history beyond slavery as though you just came here as a slave and you were anything else before that? Well, your, your, your whole thing is education. I mean, does that, uh, do you see social and economic impact of your work as a diversity uh, education uh, person? No, no, no question, man. And, and, and to, to uh, both Ben and, and LaBelle's points, you know, to, to combine the two, no question, there's been a, we, we've conflated some terms. We, we, we've confused some terms. There's a difference between integration and desegregation. And what we've had is desegregation. So, you know, like Malcolm talked about, you know, like, okay, so now we can go uh, to the bathroom and be near a white person. That's desegregation. And, 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 and that's well taken. You know, that hasn't had a benefit, for example, from an education standpoint. When Thurgood Marshall, Howard University, HBCU graduate, of course, uh, argued, in front, of, in front of the Supreme Court about integration, right, and, and about the inequities in education, he was arguing for an increase in the ability to educate black children. What it, what it turned out to be, instead of an integration, was the dissolving of black schools. And, and, in, and in particular, so you had not only a loss of these education centers in black communities, but you also have the black teachers and the black principals losing their jobs because that integration, one-way integration, that's what we call desegregation. You know what I mean? So, And there's a difference between the two. If they had sent white students from the suburbs into those black schools and integrated, truly integrated those faculties, all of the schools would have gotten better. Education in general would have got better, but what we had is, uh, like, like, like Bell's talking about, you know, when you talk about the African experience in America, and, you know, like Bell's talking about, you know, the, the, the deleterious effects that have happened, the negative things that have happened, it's, it's the, the effects of desegregation has been, okay, we're going to take your inferior Negroes and bring you up to our superior white culture, and then we're going to assimilate you into this culture, so now what you have is the deletion. You know, you got a redaction of black culture, and it's replaced with a white culture, which is, you know, which is seen as superior. That's had a negative effect um, on education, in particular, in educating children. Totally negative. Cool. Hey, Ronald Reddy, we're going to take a break. Uh, tune back in. Okay. Hey, everybody. This is Jackie Powers of North Carolina Anti State University alum. You're now listening to Roundup Radio, Aggie Pride. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your man, AJ Calloway, and you're listening to Roundup Radio. What up, we the Clips? You checking out Roundup Radio. Yeah. Understand how it's going down as your boy Westwood, kingpin of the car game, right with a big dog. We keep it real legendary out there. And I'm bigging up my man Roundup Rossi, baby. He turns out the lights. He shuts down the city on Roundup Radio. Make sure you ride for him. Understand how it goes down. AlumniRoundup.com, baby. Real legendary in the game. Putting it down, shutting down the city. Real big. Holla at your boy, Roundup Rossi. One. 
It's a crazy irony, man. I'm a researcher in the Center for Multicultural Education. The Center for Multicultural Education is in fucking Seattle, Washington. Well, you know what, what that also brings up is you're all products of black schools and knowing the realities of black schools. I mean, what you just said about the best teachers it also applies to the best athletes. It applies to the best facilities, everything like that, which means that on an on a overall generalizing basis, black schools are not getting the top resources. Do you send your children to a black school or not? Yeah, and, and and another thing has to do with the alumni. The schools have to start treating their their their, their, their students better. They, they treat the kids like shit, and then by the time the kids leave there, man, the kids don't want to give no motherfucking money back. <laughs> so it's gonna take, just like you said, us knowing, us building something like uh um, what did they used to call the um um. The freedom, like the Freedom Riders did. You had somebody in every city. You had somebody at every college. You had somebody, brother, we all connected, and we know who are about the business of our people, and we hold those people accountable. So we know, man, if my money gets fucked up, I'm coming to see you. And as, as, as gangster as that sounds, that's how we're going to have to be about our people. We're going to have to start checking people because nobody's going to do right because right is the right thing to be. So in us saying that, not only do we have the black experience, that's a problem. We have the black experience in America doing a recession. Wow. So, so do you send your kids to black, to black college or not? Huh? Would you send your kids to a black college? Man, I'm going to send my kids to the best college for them. I'm going to send my kids to Mississippi with their grandparents and make them go down there and get their ass kicked. But I'm going to allow my kids to, to make a decision and do the best thing that they possibly can do for themselves. Or what I may do is I may send them to uh, a black college and then send them to a white grad school. I don't know. What do you say, kids, I want my, Huh? What do you say, Mo? What are you going to do? I'm all about the match. You know what I mean? So... You know, I agree about the whole, you know, the, the, the concept that, you know, college, like I said, college is a match to be made, not a prize to be won, you know. So wherever, uh, you know, wh wherever is best for my kids to go, I'm definitely going to push black, you know, they're going to go up in a household where, you know, they're going to know their HBCUs and, you know, Uncle B, you know, and Uncle Bell went to, you know, Howard and they're going to know, you know, so they're going to be inundated with, you know, the whole black college experience. So if nothing else, even if they don't go, they're going to know just how important HBCUs are. What do you say, Val? I don't know. Well, I'm going to say this one thing right here, is that most people don't realize, you know, that our generation, we, um, we can be considered and should be considered, at least in the political spectrum, the, you know, the first-born, first-class citizens of our of our generation, man. It's like prior to 1964-65, man, uh, our parents were second-class citizens. We couldn't vote. We couldn't do a whole lot of shit. Right. You know, you're born as a f the first free citizen with all the rights granted by the Constitution. Right. I chose to go to a black school because I wanted to be around black people. That's, that's That was on me. You know, and I'm going to try to endear my children, you know, dare I have any, you know, with that experience of knowing where they come from and knowing exactly, you know, what it means to have that education, which isn't always defined by where you go in terms of an intellectual sense. You know, it could be like where you grow up, 
you know, who your friends are, you know, kind of what things you read. So across the board, education just can't be seen in, a, in the institutional sense. It shouldn't matter where you go because knowledge is everywhere. But I will say that, you know, if, you, if you're claiming to be African-American, you know, on whatever level, then that's your filter that you see life through, for better or for worse. So wherever you go, you should always look upon things with that filter of, of your identity as an African-American male, woman, you know, society, and so forth. So, you know, I, I won't never put anyone down for going to a white school, quote-unquote, to get educated, because that's for you, wherever you want to go. You know, you have that right, quote-unquote, as an American, to go where you want to go to get your education and so forth. But it should be under that filter of, this is why I'm going here, to learn about myself, because, you know, they have the resources or, you know, it doesn't matter where you know, it doesn't matter where you Isn't that filter up to us to place it in our children? Because, you know, based on how our parents, you know, our parents and the environment, with me, I think what pushed me the most is that I, I think we all came up, if, if I'm correct, you know, brand Nubian. You know, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. we were sort of touched, like, like, during that era. And that era is what pushed me more than anything to be who I am. I, I never front on that. But between my mom and, and and the type of music that I was listening to, because I was a straight hip-hop head. So, you know, I didn't eat poor. I stopped eating pork in 11th grade in Mississippi because brand new music. So, <laughs> right. so in saying that, my filter was set through the music, and, and I had a... a very, very intelligent mother. Like, my mom was magnum cum laude, so she had me reading, you know, reading and doing stuff that most people wouldn't have, wouldn't have me to. And my mother gave me the option. She said, you go to any school you want to, just pick it. She said, you're not going to pick two schools, you pick one, and I'm going to get you there. And she literally took me to that school and told them folks, me and my son going to sit here and I'll get him in the room. You know, so I, I, I think, you know, based on how, again, what we said, it's, it's up to the five or four people that's on the phone now. I, I think they said a, a presence for the, the the groups of people that we affect, whether it's, it's, it's me through my music, you know, when I get the opportunity to, you in the classroom, on the Internet, whoever. Like, I think that filter is set up, and wherever we place our kids, you know, whether it's a black college, and I don't mean our kids, our birth kids, but I mean any kids that we touch. Because the sad fact is we probably have more influence on other folks' kids than we probably will on ours. No, that's right. Yeah. You know, for me, when I was at you, you know, it was like, you know, having the Moreland Spring on there, the, the, the research center there, you know, it was like older heads on, on, on campus, older cats on campus was like, hey, man, you need to go to the Moreland Spring on, man. This is the greatest research center, you know, on the planet. You're going to go in there, you're going to see cats from Russia, you're going to see cats from China, you know, learning about American history, you know, from an, from an African-American perspective. You're going to see, you know, it's like you need to go, you know, check your resources. So I went there. It was like my professors had a class, Black Diaspora, man. I called that motherfucker Black Disaster because that shit kicked my ass. But, you know, I learned so much about, like, you know, our history beyond, you know, <laughs> yeah, you were at the bottom of a boat and you came here, you know, and you got your freedom 10 years ago. You know, we must, I, I learned so much more, you know, uh, Howard, you know, from older cats who just pulled me aside, like, yeah, you know, you need to check out this, you need to, you know, Broadway Street, look at this, you know, so... And the, and, the, and the professor, that was like, 
for me, the first part of like academic research, you know, looking back on it now, you know, I'm doing that shit as a career, you know, but that was the beginning. Like, yo, learn about yourself. And here's a place you can do it. And you at Howard, you know, you can't do it nowhere else, you know. So, so for me, you know, my experience at, at Howard was like, man, that was when I really, you know, <laughs> you know, that's when I learned it. I went to Howard. I, was, I saw eyes on the, I know we all saw eyes on the prize. I'm sure you all watched that, you know. I saw Stokely Carmichael on the steps at Douglas Hall. You know, I was like, that's who I want to be. That's where I want to go. Roundup Radio.